Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you. All right, well, this morning, we're in the last of our series, Fruit Salad. Now, I had started off this series with the intention of preaching through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I miss one? I don't think so. I got nine fingers, so we should be okay. Um, and, And that was my intention, to preach through several of those every week. And then as I started to get into the series and studying the passage, I realized God had kind of a let's back up, let's get some information in the background, let's learn exactly what I was supposed to be saying to you, not how you think you want to hear it. And so we spoke the first week um, learning that life is a battlefield of desires from that Galatians passage, right? We read that the war is between the desires for the flesh and the desires for the spirit, and do we satisfy the desires of the flesh and make works of the flesh? Or do we walk with the Spirit, satisfy the desires of the Spirit, and live a fruit-filled life? And so we left the first week with this idea that life is a battlefield of desires, and there are works of the flesh and fruits of the Spirit, and how are we supposed to live in that battle? Then the second week, last week, we learned that walking in the Spirit, to have a fruitful life in the Spirit, we learned that you must abide with Jesus. You must um, not only uh, abide with Christ, but you must be pruned by Christ, right? So some of those stray branches, Jesus wants to prune for your good and for his glory. And not just that, but Jesus had some really strong words for us. He said, in order to bear fruit, you must, remember, die. And he used the idea of a wheat seed. And he said, if this wheat seed does not get buried in the ground and covered with soil and then watered, it will not grow And it will not produce fruit. So your old life, Jesus says, the way you lived in the flesh must die and pass away and be no more. Because out of that death with me will be birthed something new and fantastic and fruit-filled. So life is a battlefield of desires. To produce fruit, you must die and be pruned and remain in Christ. It's not enough to have Christ for one moment and then be like, that was good. I've had my fill. Now I can go do what I want to do again. No, we must remain in Christ because our fruit does not come from ourselves, right? Our fruit comes from the life of the Holy Spirit coming up within us. And that means we must remain in Christ. Now, this week is the week I have been waiting for. This is the week that we actually get to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is what I thought we were going to talk about three weeks ago. So if you will, um, just uh, turn briefly to uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read one verse, okay? Two verses. We're going to read two verses. We're getting wild this morning. Two verses to get us started, and then we'll pray and we'll read some more scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I have been waiting for these verses, okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Can I get an amen from the people of God? Right? This is important. This is where we are finding our center this morning. Though we are going to spend some time in another passage, this verse is the central verse for us today. Because, I'm gonna, I, I might blow some of your minds this morning. There is only one fruit. And the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. There's only one fruit. Fruit salad, imagine. You bring to a potluck a fruit salad. But it only has apples. People are going to look at you like, why'd you bring a bowl of chopped apples? Well, I was thinking fruit salad. You know, it's got pineapple and cherries and whatever else was on sale and looked good that day. You put it in the bowl and you mix it all up and that's fruit salad. The reality is, according to Jesus' word... The fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. The word that they use for fruit is singular. He's not telling us there are nine fruits. He's saying there is one fruit, and there are multiple facets of that fruit. And they display like joy. Love is displayed like peace, right? Love is displayed as gentleness. Love is displayed as patience, right? Because parents... When you love your children, but they are driving you insane, and it's the end of the summer, right? So y'all know what I'm talking about. The most loving thing you can do is be patient with them, right? Because it's just two more weeks, right? So you demonstrate love via patience, via peace, right? There is one fruit, and it is love. And this love, this word love... There's lots of words for love in, in Greek, but we're familiar with a handful of them. But this is the word agape, agapao, okay? It's the word that means uh, divine love, holy love, uh, God's love, we might call it like that, perfect love, okay? This is like the standard for love, this agape word, is the way that we should strive to live. It is, at its base definition, love focused on and centered in moral preference for someone else. So, when you agape love someone, you are loving them with a preference for them above yourself. That's pretty good, right? Because love, we'll read later, isn't selfish. Right? It doesn't seek its own way. This is a demonstrated preference kind of love. Now, I was taught by Cliff Purcell. Shout out to first Lewis and Naz right there. Um, he taught me this definition a long time ago, and I've lived by it. I think it's an excellent definition of love. And it says this. Love is, agape love is, a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? It is the fruit of the Spirit, love. So, we demonstrate a preference for the well-being of others over and above ourselves, even at great personal expense, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, think about Jesus' life for just a moment. He lived a life of love. He came to this earth out of love. He created us out of love. He walked with us patiently and with joy and with long-suffering and with grace and all of these things, kindness and goodness and gentleness and faith and love. He demonstrated all of these things as parts of love to us. And then 
he demonstrated a preference for the well-being of us when he went to the cross over and above himself, even at great personal expense, even to the point of death on the cross, he loved us, and he did it by the help of the Holy Spirit. He stayed with the Spirit, he abided with the Spirit, he prayed in the Spirit, the Spirit led him. He was able to atone for the sins of the world because of the Holy Spirit and his choice to love us. We feel like love is emotions in our world, and we feel, oh, I'm in love, and then I've fallen out of love, and now I'm in love again, and I've fallen out of love, and I love my shoes, and I love this pizza, and I love that movie, and we have forgotten culturally what love is. God is love. So let us not use uh, with disrespect the term love casually, because when we say love, scripturally it means something. It means a moral preference for somebody, to choose somebody over and above yourself, even at great personal expense, love is going to cost you something. And it might cost you a lot. But we are called to live a life of agape towards other people. See, this fruit has many, many faucets. And one of the ways that love is demonstrated is by joy. Right? It's great to laugh with one another, isn't it? It's sometimes great to uh, just enjoy each other's company. Um, it's great to be peaceful with one another. God is most glorified when brothers dwell in unity, right? When there is kindness among us and we extend a helping hand towards someone, don't you feel loved when someone does something nice for you out of the blue, right? That's kindness. That's goodness. What about faithfulness, right? It's a way to demonstrate God's love. He is so faithful to us. His faithfulness never runs out. Gentleness. Has anyone ever entered into a moment in your life and was just so gentle with you despite the fact you didn't need it? Maybe you needed correction and something was going wrong in your life and someone came alongside of you and gently led you towards grace. Gentleness is a demonstration of God's love. What about self-control? That's the one that probably we all be like, I don't, I don't know about that one. You know, still going gluten-free, right? I walked into the grocery store yesterday by myself. They had just baked donuts. And I kid you not, I walked in and I smelled the donuts. You know what I'm talking about, right? Safeway, right? They can walk in. And I, oh, my mouth is watering. Um, I, I walked in, I smelled the donuts, and I thought, no. I've done so well, I'm going to have self-control. But then I did one of those back turns, you know, where you look, you're like, oh yeah. And I could see the maple glistening <laughs> on the maple bar. Uh, and it was, I didn't, but I wanted. In my mind, Jesus says, if you've committed sin, <laughs> I was right there, folks. But self-control, right? It's a demonstration of love when we are self-control there is only one fruit and it is love and this is what we are going to look at this morning now if you would flip to first corinthians we're going to start at the tail end of chapter 12 when you find it go ahead and stand up 
It's about midway through the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones under the seats in front of you or behind you or next to you. It's a white Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you, as a gift from God to you, because we love you and we want you to have God's Word with you. So if you'll find 1 Corinthians, the tail end of chapter 12. Now, if you guys don't know and you haven't read 1 Corinthians in a while, chapter 12 talks about the spiritual gifts. Um, like prophecy and teaching and those kinds of things and wisdom and knowledge and healing and faith, those things, right? And then it talks about the body of Christ and how we all have these gifts together that God has given us in the body to glorify God and to work together for his good. And so the whole thing talks about that. But then you get down to the very last verse in chapter 12, and that's where we're going to pick up and we're going to read through chapter 13. Verse 12, or verse 31 of chapter 12 earnestly desire the higher gifts, meaning prophecy and teaching and healing and all of these wonderful things that he is talking about. Earnestly desire the higher gifts, but I will show you still a more excellent way to pursue. Because if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all of the mysteries, and all of the knowledge, and I have all of the faith, so as I can move mountains with a word, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I were to give away all that I have, and deliver my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It isn't irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, they'll pass away. We know in part because we prophecy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Right now, we see in a mirror that's dimly lit. But later, we will see face to face. Now I know things in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide and remain. These three, but of them the greatest is love. Lord, this morning we're going to look at your character, because love is who you are. As we study your word and as we study your character. Will you reveal to us how much you love us? And would you enable us with your love to love as you have loved us? We give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't think it was by accident that Bob showed up this morning. He goes, oh, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians today. What are you preaching from? <laughs> and I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was not a surprise to God. 
that the same verse that was laid on Bob's heart for you this morning is the same verse that the Lord laid on my heart for us this morning. Study the love of God. So there is one fruit, and it is love. And, and I dare say it is the only worthy pursuit in life. Now, it's not me that's saying that. If you'll remember, the tail end of chapter 12 says, Desire the gifts of preaching and teaching and healing and whatnot. But there is something higher than that, better than those things. If you are going to set your mind on something, follow after something, pursue something with all of your energy, if you are going to have one singular focus for your entire life, let me tell you what that focus is. That focus is not the gift of prophecy. That focus is not the gift of teaching. That focus is not the gift of healing. The focus of your life should be the pursuit of love. The highest calling is love. It doesn't matter if you can speak well, right? You guys know people that are eloquent, right? That can speak really well. But do you like to hang out with people who can spin a nice word, but when you actually hang out with them, they're really mean? You guys do? No? Okay, just checking, right? Um, you guys hang out with people that have immense amounts of faith. Like you admire their faith, but they lack love. Do you like to hang out with those people? Frankly, do you like to hang out with people that don't demonstrate love at all? It's all about them all of the time. Those are my favorite kind of people to not hang out with. Right? Right? But the reality is, we've probably all been those people, right? Because if you look around the room and you're like, I don't know who it is. It might be you, right? And that's been an honest reality for me sometimes when I look around the room and I go, everybody's calling me a jerk. And I don't feel like a jerk, but I must be. Because the, when I look at it, I've not been loving, right? So the highest pursuit we must have is love. And it doesn't matter what your spiritual gifts are. God gives them to you for a season, right? To edify and glorify Him. But the thing that stays with us for eternity, Scripture says, is love. It never ends. You may have the gift of faith for a period of time in your life. You may have the gift of teaching for a period of time in your life. You may have the gift of healing for a period of time in your life. But Scripture told us those things pass away. The one thing that will not is love. Love never ends. And there is no gift, no talent, no skill that is so effective for the kingdom of God as love. If you could bank on one thing and one thing only to build the kingdom of God, bank on love. Right? If you lack love, scripture says, you are nothing. How many times have you skipped over that verse? Because it's not as nice as love is patient, love is kind, and love is, right? We get to the good part about love, but we forget that if we don't have it, we are nothing. Let me unpack that for just a moment. I wasn't going to necessarily go this direction, but here we go, okay? Um, if you don't have love, you are nothing because God is love, and your whole identity is supposed to be in him. And if you do not have God's love in your heart, what are you pursuing that is going to last for this, this, the, the stretch of time? What is your identity based on? Changing culture, your job, your family? 
He's not saying that you don't count for anything because everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is precious from the moment of conception all the way through the moment of death. Everyone is precious in God's eyes. You are special to him. But if you have not received that love, you do not know who you are made to be in Christ. And so therefore, what, what, what are you doing? Who are you? And you wonder and you get tossed about by the waves of culture. God wants you to know who you are made to be in him. And you will find that through God's love. And if you do not have love, you also gain nothing in life. If you go around being mean and crabby to people all day long, insulting people, kicking people, kicking their dog, you know, anything you can think of that's mean, right? Um, what will you have on your deathbed? Nothing, right? When someone is on their deathbed, do they whisper in a soft voice, bring me my diplomas. Show me my money. Give me my television. Netflix me. Right? No, right? When people are on their deathbed, what do they want? Family. Why? Love. Right? Where do you feel love in this earth? It's with the people that mean the most to you. What counts is love. And sometimes we don't recognize that until we're on our deathbed. Or someone we love is on their deathbed. Why do we have to wait? Why can't we love people now with all of our heart now? Why do we wait and then afterwards go, if I had only? God is calling us to pursue a greater and a higher way than waiting to love people. Eh? The only worthwhile pursuit, the most excellent way to live, is love. And I want to read this definition of love for you again. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It is patient and kind. I want you, as I read this, just close your eyes, okay? And I want you to think about your life, how you live from day to day, okay? I'm just going to read scripture. What God does with it, totally up to him <clears throat> think about your life love is patient and kind it does not envy or boast it isn't arrogant or rude it doesn't insist on its own way it's not irritable it's not resentful it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing and it rejoices with the truth it, it bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things it endures all things love never ends. Amen? Now, two questions. Do you believe that is how God acts towards you? And is that how you act towards others? These are the two questions that we must face this morning as we look at love. The thing is that there is only one fruit. It's love. Agape. That godly divine love that pursues um, the most excellent way and seeks the preference of other people over and above ourselves. And it's the only worthwhile pursuit we have in life if we had no money and we had no church building and we were wearing sackcloths and if we were covered in sores and if our life was the worst picture of life you could think of, but we had love of Jesus, could we not still praise him? Could we not still find joy? Could we not still find hope? Could we not still have grace and gentleness and self-control with one another? Because love is what matters in this life. And in our culture, there's a lot of things that divide us, right? 
And we've seen a lot of it in recent days. The world being divided and fractured among every possible <laughs> conceivable way. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we see all of the gifts, and he was writing to them because they were fighting over them. Whose gift was better than whose? And which gift was more important? And Paul said, whoa, whoa. What God gave to you to edify the church is actually splitting you. So forget those temporary gifts and instead pursue love. Because in a fractured world, the only thing that will unite people is love. So pursue that, right? Find common ground with people. Be gentle with people. Exercise self-control. Don't speak sometimes, I think is what that translates to in our world. Don't post that Facebook status, right? Don't share that video, right? Because those kinds of things only inflame, and they don't spread love. We must be cautious, as Christians, how we demonstrate love. Now, this love of God, this agape love, this divine love, this holy love, it makes you perfect. A couple weeks back, my buddy Cliff was here preaching, and he preached on perfection, right? For those of you that weren't here, it was this beautiful sermon where he put up this picture of this horrible rusty pliers or wire cutters i think wire strippers and uh, they were rusted and whatnot and he told a story about how these were his dads and um and how they worked really great at one point but then someone him uh cut things that he shouldn't have cut with them and so the blade the snips got a little dinged and dented and he had to get the wire in the right place to cut the strip the wire right and they were a little rusty but with a wd-40 you could make it work and he asked if they were perfect pliers and some people were like, eh, you know, and some people were like, no. And he said they are because they are doing the thing that they have been created to do. They can still cut. They can still wrench. He, says, he said, if I grab you by the ears, they, they would work, right? God's love does that for us. Okay? We've gone through life. We've probably bit some things we shouldn't have. Right? We've dinged ourselves up a little bit. We've got some rust in places. We creak sometimes when we walk. We're a little bit awkward in places, and everybody's a little bit different in the way that they are rusty and awkward and dinged and dented, right? And sometimes we begin to wonder, am I, am I still loved? Can, can this still be truly known? And, and in its truly known sense, can this still be loved? Like, if you all were to really know me, right? And we, we have good relationship as Christians in the church. But if you were to real, like if you were to spend a day in here, would you still love me? Like these are the things that we wonder, right? I'm not the only one that wonders this, right? Am I? Every week you guys leave me hanging. Oh, people, give your pastor a heart attack, okay? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so. We wonder that about ourselves in terms of other people, so we put up walls, right? And we show what we think people will respond well to because we want to be loved, and so we don't show the bad side, and we show the good side. But then we have a character problem because our private life is different than our public life, and God wants to rectify all that with love, right? And it's bad enough that we think that maybe people can't love us, but then we start to wonder, can God love us? If I think these things and I live this way and I struggle with X, Y, and Z, can God still love me? And here's what we need to know. This agape love, this divine love, it is perfect love, and it is perfecting love. Okay? This kind of love takes your rusty ply your life, right? 
put some WD-40 on it, and sends it out to the field and said, you are perfect, now go do what I have asked you to do, and I will enable you to live a life that pleases me. I want to read to you just the tail end of, uh, you guys haven't flipped there, if you want to follow along, you can, First John chapter 4. near the tail end of the Bible there. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 19. You know how amazing the Bible is? It talks about love so much. If you just go into a word search in a Bible dictionary and you find love, you know how much love is in the Bible? And it's like, it's all about love. It's all about how much God loves us, died for our sins and rose again so we can have eternal life. Love is everywhere up in this Bible. And uh, I want to read to you, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So in this, the love of God was made manifest to us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Meaning the sacrifice. He died in our place on the cross for our sin. So beloved, if God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. That we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so we also are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, I wanted to close with this section of scripture. Because love is what defines us. This whole passage that John was writing, he was saying, listen, there's a direct correlation between living a loving life and living a life that pleases God and actually knowing who God is. And we talked last week about abiding with Christ and remaining with Christ. And the same themes are found in this passage. If you abide in Christ, if you abide in God and his love, then he and his love abide in you and his love will perfect you. Y'all want to be perfect? Anybody? Yeah? Spend some time with Jesus. His love will perfect you. It is what defines you, and it is where the center of your identity needs to be rooted. Okay? Love is the center of God's identity. At the very core of who he is, he is love. It's why he created in the first place, to expand love in our hearts. And we could share love together. Okay? It is the center of his identity, and he calls us 
to live from his perfect center, not our flawed center. And this is where the battle of the flesh and the spirit, right? The battle of the desires comes right back full circle. We struggle with the flesh, and we want to be with the spirit, but we struggle with the desires of the flesh, and God says, listen, just be with me, and I will perfect you. I will enable you to live and walk with the spirit. When God makes his kingdom full, Okay? When he comes again one day in glory, and we're all looking forward to that maybe soon, right? When Jesus comes back and makes everything new and shiny and however, he's going to work it out. First Corinthians told us that the temporary will pass away. Right? The temporary gifts will pass away. This temporary earth will pass away. Our bodies will pass away. All of these things that are not eternal will pass away. And that term pass away means rendered useless. Totally unneeded right so the things that we are holding on to and the things that we are striving for right now they're not going to be needed in the kingdom of god in the future what's going to be needed in the kingdom of god in the future love that's the only thing in the economy of god is love the only thing lasting from this world to the next world is the singular fruit of love it's by this love that we gain entrance into the kingdom of god through Christ dying for our sins on the cross. It's by this love that we are made perfect in the eyes of God when we, sinnered, flawed people, walk into relationship with Jesus and he forgives us and he puts his arm around us and walks us into the throne room and said, this one's mine. He gets to get into the party, right? He perfects us. So that when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus over us. That's good news for our souls. It's by this love that we demonstrate the love of God to other people. When we have realized the fullness of love that God has for us, that he knows us, right? I can't hide this from God, right? He knows everything that goes on in here and here. And though he knows all that, he loves me. And he chose to die for me. And he chose to be raised from the dead for me and bring me into eternal life. When we come to realize the love that he has for us, then we can truly love other people. Because if I have been forgiven of all that I have been forgiven, and God continues to give me grace, then truly I can love and forgive other people as I have been forgiven. I think Jesus said something about that, right? Forgive people. Yeah, your forgiveness uh, is tied to forgiving other people. Um Good word from Jesus for you. And it's by this love, love of God, the agape love, that we live boldly. Perfect love casts out fear, fear right? So should we fear the world's view of Christians? Should we fear retribution for sharing our faith? Should we fear boldly plowing into the workplace or our uh, family lives who have not yet given their life to Christ? Or should we fear going to another country um, and sharing the gospel and ministering? No. Because everything we have here is temporary. And the one thing that we do have we want to hold on to, and that's love. And that love will carry us through this world to the next. Um, there's a... I think it was the message. I'm going to read it to you. Um, it was a really nice... It's the tail end of 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to close with this. I like how they phrased it. I don't study from this Bible, but occasionally the poetic nature of the message is beautiful. It says this, 
right now, we don't see the fullness of God's kingdom. Can I get an amen? Okay. Our world is broken and fractured. One day, though, we will see it with our own eyes. We will be made perfect, complete, and whole. But for right now, until that completeness is made real and tangible, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation of God's kingdom in this world and our lives. We need to trust steadily in God. We need to hope unswervingly. And we need to love extravagantly. Love that. We need to love extravagantly. And the best, the highest, and the most important thing to do is extravagant love. Now, here's the questions I want to close you with. How is your love this morning? How's your love? Are you pursuing love in life, or are you pursuing lesser things? Um, have you given yourself over to the love of Christ yet? Have you trusted him to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and to work within you in such a way that you would be made a new creation, and the things of the flesh, the things that you struggle with, the things that you know aren't good, he will help those things pass away, and he will give you new life in him. Have you trusted Christ? And his love. And are you loving others as Christ loved you? Three things to wrestle with as we close out in worship. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. And then as we sing this song, let you guys uh, think about those three questions. Are you pursuing love or something else? Have you given yourself over to the love of Christ? And are you loving others as Christ loved you? Lord, um, it's kind of hard to come up with words to say thank you. Because I, I sometimes don't know that we, maybe just me, fully understand what it is you did for us. I mean, I get it. You died for my sins on the cross and you forgave me and you made me whole. But I don't know on this side of heaven if I can really fully understand the cosmic beauty of that. The amount of love that you had for your children, that you would leave your holy throne and you would come to earth, and you would walk with us, and talk with us, tell jokes with us, encourage us, call people to follow you, people would break your heart and you would keep walking with love, that one pursuit that you had that took you all the way to Jerusalem, where you willingly went and you willingly preferred us even at great personal expense. And when you were unjustly betrayed and unjustly tried, people spit in your face and beat you and called you names and teased you just without mercy. And you didn't speak back to them because there was a greater purpose and it was love. And then you let them nail you to the cross and you hung there and while you were suffering and bleeding and suffocating the guy next to you trusted you loved you and you welcomed him into eternal rest and then some of the last words you ever said were father forgive them because they just don't know what they're doing with your very last breath and it cost you pain to do so you forgave and you loved the very people who nailed you to the cross and I don't know that I can 
ever fully demonstrate that kind of love, but I want to. And so, Lord, as we gather together as a redeemed people by the blood of Jesus, would you give us so much love for you? Because love for other people will follow that. Would you redeem us this morning in such a way that we pursue you and your love above all other things? Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise. We love you. And all God's children said, Amen.